last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast series recaps, everybody. Your friendly neighborhood host, Bobby Blanco here. Thanks so much for tuning in. We are recapping a weekend series against the San Francisco Giants to start this homestand in what turned out to be a low-scoring affair over the four games that were crammed into three days at a full-capacity Nationals park. Entering the series, the Nationals were 25-33 and 33 on the season. In last place in the National League East, seven games out of first place in the division behind the New York Mets facing a first-place team in the Giants. Let's break it down. This four-game series was supposed to start on Thursday night with Max Scherzer taking the mound for the first time in front of a full-capacity crowd at Nats Park this season. But that would be delayed until Friday night after a rainout forced Thursday's game to be postponed into a doubleheader on Saturday. So now with another tight schedule and the next off day about a week away, Davey Martinez was once again looking for a deep start uh, from his starting pitcher to help save some of the bullpen arms. And he had the right men on the mound in Max on Friday night. Or so you would think, Max would only last 12 pitches in the top of the first before having to leave the game with what was revealed to be a groin injury, a terrible sign for a Nats club that has already seen its share of injuries uh, and couldn't afford to have its best player miss any more time. Good news, though, came after the game as Max underwent an MRI that showed no strain, just inflammation in his groin, and he officially listed himself as day-to-day. You know, threw a pitch there to Brandon Belt, and all of a sudden I felt my groin uh, tweak on me. Um, you know, when I had that happen, I... Um, you know, it was, it's foreign for me to have that uh, type of injury on that location of, of my body. Um, knew I needed to take a warm up pitch. I, I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't look, look myself straight if I didn't throw another warm up pitch. So obviously I had to get everybody out there, give it a second, try to make another pitch. Uh, and obviously once I made that warm up pitch, uh, it, it grabbed again in the same spot. So, um, it just wasn't an injury that you can pitch through. Uh, now, fortunately enough, got the MRI back. Um, and the good news is that it's not muscle strain. It's just a little inflammation of the adductor, fascia of the adductor, something like that. Um, basically, it's not a muscle strain. So uh, it's really best case scenario in, in terms of what the injury is and that I'm really day-to-day um, and that this could uh, subside pretty quickly here. Well, you know, I was, you know, the minute, you know, I saw it, you know, I thought, oh, boy, you know, um, went out there, he tried to, you know, he tried to throw a pitch. And right away I saw his face and I, I told him, you know, you're done, you know, um, we, we got to get you checked out. So, uh, you know, after the game, I didn't know anything until after the game and um, you know, about the MRI. And uh, like I said, it was a lot better news than I thought, you know, I thought it was a muscle pull in his groin and it turned out not to be that. So, um, but we don't, you know, we still, still not out of woods. We'll see how he feels tomorrow. Davey Martinez right there, of course, practicing extreme caution with his starting pitcher and ace of his staff. Uh, Of course, not an ideal situation, but it's still June, and the Nationals will need Max as we get deeper into the season if they want to get to where they want to go this season, if they want to reach their goals, as as in making the postseason. Uh, Plus, taking some time off now for him should be enough for a groin to heal and get him back quickly. Uh, on the mound as he hopes to make his next start on Wednesday against the Pirates. As for the rest of the game, pretty much the way you would expect after that ominous start in the form of a one nothing loss for the Nationals, 
They mustered only two hits off Giants starter Anthony Descafini, who pitched a complete game shutout while striking out eight. But credit has to be given to the Nationals bullpen that pitched eight and two-thirds innings of relief of Max, giving up just four hits and one run, a Buster Posey homer off Paulo Espino in the fourth being the only blemish there. And that was also the only blemish off Espino, who pitched admirably as the first man up out of the pen, giving the Nationals three and a third innings and striking out five. Kyle McGowan, Wander Suero, Ryan Harper, and Sam Clay then combined to allow just one hit, no walks, with five more Ks over the next five and a third innings. But as for the Nationals' offense, they only got two hits, uh, and those came from a Trey Turner single in the fourth and a Josh Bell ground rule double in the seventh. But right before that ground rule double, Juan Soto nearly tied the game up with one swing in the seventh, launching a ball deep to left center but was robbed by Mike Talkman, who leaped at the wall and grabbed back a what would be a home run to tie the game and brought it back over the fence uh, in back into the ballpark for the out. Uh, Espino fell to 0-2. Desclafini improved to 6-2 on the season. One run, four hits, zero errors for the Giants. Zero runs, two hits, zero errors for the Nationals. Just over 18,000 people were in attendance for the first game at Nats Park that was allowing full capacity, and they were treated to a quick two-hour, 30-minute game, and we saw some improved uh, attendance numbers over the weekend as the weather cleared up. Um, and we had three more games to go on Saturday and Sunday. The Nationals then had a shuffle around their roster on Saturday before the doubleheader started in the early afternoon. They reinstated Eric Fetty from the COVID IL. They selected the contract of Jeffrey Rodriguez from AAA Rochester and selected the contract of right-hander Andres Machado, optioned him and selected him as the 27th man for the doubleheader. And then they also optioned Yadiel Hernandez to AAA Rochester and placed Daniel Hudson on the 10-day IL, retroactive to June 10th with a right elbow inflammation and transferred Will Harris, who's out for the season, to the 60-day IL. Obviously, the most noteworthy move right there is Hudson to the injured list. He had woken up Thursday feeling sore with some swelling in the back of his elbow. Of course, a twice Tommy John guy, so that is concerning. Uh, he formed the team of of the elbow injury. He had an MRI performed on Friday and was relieved to learn that there was no structural damage, only inflammation. So the Nationals getting some good luck or good news as, as terms from their two MRIs on Friday with just inflammation all around. Uh, but hopefully no longer concerns for uh, the Nationals' best reliever in Hudson. Uh, he's been fantastic this season, but you have to wonder if this was a result of his high usage, not just as of late, but for the most part of the season. He, of course, uh, pitched, I think it was over 30, inning, or 30 pitches on uh, Wednesday against the Rays. Um, and so, of course, that would bring back to the starting pitchers needing to get deeper into games and the offense needing to give the Nats leads, if not large leads, to give the bullpen arms a breather every now and then because it's not just Hudson who's been working his tail off recently. And that would fall onto Eric Fetty, who was making his first start off the COVID IL, his first outing since maybe his best outing of his career back on May 16th when you pitch seven scoreless innings in Arizona. Also, somewhat luckily for the Nats is the fact that doubleheader games are, of course, still seven innings. So while they needed to cover 14 innings on Saturday, getting five or six from their starters would be enough to hopefully save some of those bullpen arms. And that's exactly what Fetty gave them in the opener as he returned from his four-week stint on the COVID IL to toss five scoreless innings and lead the Nationals to a 2-0 victory over the Giants. Fetty allowed just four hits, but all of them were singles. He did not issue a walk, and when he got into a jam in the second, he easily got out of it with a double playground ball. And after he finished a 1-2-3 top of the fifth inning, he had retired nine batters in a row and completed five scoreless innings on just 82 pitches, lowering his season ERA to 386. That was amazing. I mean, um, 
came out, gave us the, gave us the five innings we needed in the uh, that 82 pitches. Um, and we went out there. We, try, we wanted to try to squeeze that last inning in uh, with him, and uh, and he came out. He came out fired up and, and got through it. And it was a great performance by Fetty. I know it hasn't been like a straight line from opening day till now to where he's gotten, but to the point he's gotten now with a sub four ERA where he's becoming a fairly reliable starter for you. Um, how significant is that for him and for your team? Yeah, he's done well. Like I said, the, the two things that stick out. One is confidence and two is ability to throw all four of his pitches uh, when he wants to and throw strikes. I mean, um, that, that's huge, you know, so for a young pitcher as he is, um, things are starting to come together for him. You know, and it's good to see. I mean, uh, you know, I told him before, hey, you deserve to start. You earned it. Um, just keep it going. Betty was granted an early lead thanks to Kyle Schwarber, who was back in the leadoff spot for the second time in a couple of days and hit a home run to start the bottom of the first. And then Josh Harrison doubled the lead in the fourth after Juan Soto walked, and Harrison drove him in with a double to right field. Fetty improved to 4-4. Four and four. The Nats handed Kevin Gaussman his first loss of the season, and Brad Hand converted his 11th save. Zero runs, five hits, zero errors for the Giants. Two runs, four hits, zero errors for the Nationals. Trey Turner added a two-hit day, and Soto walked twice while scoring that insurance run. And Kyle Finnegan and Brad Hand combined to allow just one hit and three strikeouts to cover the last two innings of a Game 1 victory. Oddly enough, this was the Nationals' first win in a seven-inning game this season in six tries. So the Nationals would go into the nightcap looking for a doubleheader sweep and sending the recently selected Jeffrey Rodriguez to the mound for just his 17th Major League start and first. First in over two years. For those of you who don't remember, Rodriguez was part of a trade that brought Jan Gomes to D.C. over from Cleveland in November 2018. Ironic, since Gomes was his catcher on Saturday night. And then Rodriguez was released by the Indians after last season and re-signed on a minor league deal with the Nationals in December. Hard to say what was reasonably expected of Rodriguez coming into the game. But again, with only the seven innings to cover and thanks to Fetty's strong start in the first game, maybe only four or five innings from Rodriguez would be sufficient to put the Nats in position to win. And again, that's exactly what they got from him as he put up a gutsy performance, pitching four scoreless innings while only giving up one hit and three walks with two strikeouts. Then Kyle McGowan, Tanner Rainey, and Brad Hand combined to pitch three scoreless innings of relief. The problem was the Nats couldn't get any offense going off the Giants pitching staff as they managed only three hits off a collection of relievers from the San Francisco pen. So the game would go into the extra eighth inning, a scoreless tie, and that's when things fell apart for the Nationals. With the automatic runner on second, Lamont Wade Jr. hit a leadoff RBI single to right off Kyle Finnegan for a 4-0 lead. This was Finnegan's second outing of the day, so he might have been uh, being worn down a little bit on Saturday. The Giants would then play another run to make it a 2-0 lead heading into the bottom of the frame. Not the worst considering how it started and left the Nats a chance to tie the game back with one swing. Of course, the automatic runner on second. Uh, Starling Castro hit a leadoff RBI double to center to score the Nats uh, automatic runner. And then Victor Robles was hit by a pitch to put the winning run on base. Then came the disaster and a boneheaded base running mistake that cost the Nationals this game. Josh Bell hit a long fly out to center to advance Casho to third and should have put the Nats in position to tie the game with an easy sack fly. But Robles on first base also attempted to tag up uh, and steal second base and wound up oversliding the bag, then getting tagged out, wiping out the possibility of a sacrifice fly with two outs on the board. Trey Turner then popped up on the second pitch of his at bat, and the ball game ended in a 2-1 win for the Giants, with Juan Soto still standing on the on-deck circle. 
Though that was the most obvious opportunity for the Nationals to score some runs, it wasn't the only one on the night as the lineup went collectively one for six with runners in scoring position and left four runners on base. Kyle Finnegan took the loss. Jake McGee earned the win for the Giants and Caleb Berger earned the save. Two runs, three hits, zero errors for San Francisco. One run, four hits, zero errors for Washington. Harrison Gomes, Castro, and actually Robles had the hits for the Nationals in this one. And after the game, via team interpreter Octavio Martinez, Robles tried to defend his decision to tag up there and try to get to second base, uh, but his manager wasn't having it. Bueno, yo sé que era la carrera del 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 Ganen, tú sabes, y lo que me pasó en la mente fue ponerme en segunda, ya que Tarlin estaba pisando para hacer el pesicorre. Eh, tratar de localizarme en segunda para así, o sea, facilitarle más el juego a Trey Turner o Juan Soto, que estaban con un hombre. No, the thought process uh, that ran through my mind was, uh, I know I was the winning run, on the bases, and as soon as the fly ball went up, I wanted to make sure I tried to put myself in a position to uh, score. And uh, when I saw my teammate tagging up, uh, I felt like it was a, a good opportunity for me to do the same and try to make it a, a little bit better and easier for uh, either Trey Turner or Juan Soto to deliver a base hit and score the runs. I, I honestly, I, I thought it was a poor, you know, right there. I mean, that's not a very smart decision. Uh, you know, we had top of the order coming up, man, on first and third. Uh, and just let the game play out. You know, you see the ball coming, you know, you, you tag up, you see the you see the ball, you see that the throw is going to be really close. You, you you just come back and uh, you know, let those guys get a chance to hit. We had uh, Turner and and Soto, you know. So, you know, I'll talk to him tomorrow. I mean, uh, you know, he just, he just, you know, he's, he's one of those guys, as we all know, he tries to play super aggressive. And, you know, he's got to know when when to do it and when not to. So, you know, I'll talk to him tomorrow. But um, then you know, here, here we are again talking about um, these guys trying to push the envelope because, you know, we're not swinging the bat. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that, that's the bottom line. You know, we're not scoring any runs. And these guys are, are playing hard. They're trying, they're trying too much to do something that, you know, we shouldn't really be doing. So, you know, we just got to relax and, and play the game. I mean, you know. We had some going there at the end, and um, to double get doubled up like that was tough. It's one thing to be fast and, and be confident in your speed. It's another thing to practice smart base running in an important situation in the game right there. So you would like to see Robles not attempt to go there. Maybe go halfway, ensure the throw goes into second base so the second base runner can get to third and be in, in position to score the tying run on a sack fly. Um, but the kind of crazy thing is, too, that Robles actually beat the throw there. If you watch the replay, he just overslid the bag um, and was tagged out afterwards. So if he finds a way to stay on the bag, it's an incredible play. Maybe still one that Dave Martinez wouldn't like to see. And maybe he's kind of uh, still vocal about not doing that in that situation and being smarter. But uh, it wasn't for a lack of speed that Robles was tagged out. He overslid the bag um, maybe due to his aggressiveness and how hard he was running. But um, he had the speed to get there. So if he stays on the bag, it's, it's an incredible play. But that's obviously not the case. Um, and it looks pretty bad on Robles' part. Uh, and Dave Martinez had to have a conversation with his young center fielder after the game. So after some heroic pitching performances in tough situations and chances to win each of the first three games of the series, the Nationals were left with only the chance to split a four-game set entering Sunday's finale. And once again, they were needing another strong outing from their starting pitcher to help out a bullpen that's been called upon so much, not just this weekend, but over the past couple of weeks. And that starter was Joe Ross, who was looking to build off an impressive six-inning outing in Philly and trying to get back to being the consistent pitcher that we saw from a couple of years ago. 
Crazy enough, once again, the Nats got exactly what they needed from their starter, someone not named Scherzer, Corbin, or Strasburg, or even Lester. Uh, in this case, it was Joe Ross, who pitched eight scoreless innings, allowing five hits, walking none, and striking out nine on 108 pitches en route to a 5 nothing Nats win. He had completed eight innings only two times previously in his career, once in 2015 and the other in 2017. In each of those cases, he also gave up runs. So Sunday proved to be probably Ross's best start of his career, pitching eight scoreless, and it came at a time when the Nats needed it the most. Of course, not walking a batter is a great accomplishment and something that Davey Martinez was sure glad to see. Ross also kept his pitch count low, not needing more than 18 pitches to get out of a single inning, so that kept him efficient throughout the course of the game. And the Nats' offense finally came alive when they needed to in this one to salvage the split. For the second straight afternoon, Davey Martinez had Kyle Schwarber leading off. And for the second straight afternoon, Schwarber hit a leadoff home run to give the Nats an early lead. This one came off Johnny Cueto's fourth pitch of the game for a 1-0 lead. In his first seven starts, Schwarber high in the air, right center. See you later. He's done it again. He then came back up in the bottom of the second with two runners in scoring position and hit a 426-foot three-run homer for a 4-0 lead that set Joe Ross and the Nats up nicely. Schwarber lifting one to right center. See you later. Another note on Schwarber's second homer, it was way up and out of the zone, 4.19 feet above the ground. That's the highest pitch the Nationals have hit for a home run since that started to be tracked back in 2008, according to Sarah Langs of MLB.com. Add a 4-for-4 game from Josh Harrison and a two-out RBI double from Starling Castro in the fifth inning, and the Nats had themselves a nice little Sunday. Joe Ross earned his third win of the season. Johnny Cueto took his third loss of the season. Zero runs, five hits, two errors for the Giants. Five runs, ten hits, zero errors for the Nationals. Soto, Avila, and Robles added hits to fill out the box score, and Sam Clay pitched a perfect ninth inning to close out the win. The Nats are now 27-35 and 35 on the season, seven and a half games out of first place in the division behind the Mets, and continue the homestand with three games against the last place Pirates. Let's take a look at the opposite dugout. The Pittsburgh Pirates are managed by Derek Shelton in his second season after previously serving as the bench coach for the Minnesota Twins. They went 19-41 last year, earning themselves the number one overall draft pick in next month's draft. They're currently 23-41, and 41, last in the National League Central, third worst record in baseball, and 14 and a half games out of first place. Over the last 10 games, they're 3-7, and seven, though they've lost seven in a row coming into this week. And of course, this is their first meeting against the Nationals this season, and they did not play each other last year. The Pirates went 3-4 and four against the Nats in 2019, even though they were outscored 41-18 to 18 over that season's series. Pitching probables on Monday night, it'll be right-hander JT Brubaker versus left-hander John Lester, 7.05 start on Masson. Then Tuesday night is another pair of left-handers. Tyler Anderson will face Patrick Corbin. Seems like Patrick Corbin always goes up against a left-hander nowadays. That game, that's 7.05 on Masson as well. And then Wednesday, late afternoon game, Chase DeYoung, right-hander goes for Pittsburgh. Not sure about the Nationals. It could be Max Scherzer if he's feeling well enough. That's his next scheduled start. Uh, but unsure of that as of the moment. That game's at 4.05 p.m. on Masson and MLB Network out of market. The Pirates, of course, are a couple of years into a full rebuild and field a pretty bad major league team as shown by their record and last place standing, not to mention they play in a tough division in the National League Central. 
Uh, they might only be a couple of years away, though, from completing this uh, rebuild, with their farm system ranking in the top 10 recently for the first time since 2017. They have one of the worst offenses in the sport currently, ranking in the bottom third in average and on-base percentage, and dead last in slugging OPS home runs and RBIs, and second to last in runs scored. They are led by center fielder Brian Reynolds, who has 10 homers, 31 RBIs, and a 286 average. Second baseman Adam Frazier, who is hitting 336, and rookie third baseman Key Brian Hayes, who is batting 302 with a 966 OPS. You won't see old friend Wilmer Defoe this week with the Bucks. He was designated for assignment, and then sent to AAA Indianapolis after clearing waivers on Sunday. On the mound, Pirate starters have the second-worst ERA in the majors at 554. Monday starter TJ Brubaker is 4-5 and five with a 390 ERA, and since posting a 258 ERA over his first seven starts, he's allowed 15 runs over his past four, including three over four and two-third innings in his last start against the Dodgers. Tuesday starter Tyler Anderson is 3-6 and six with a 4-5-2 ERA. His last outing against the Dodgers, he, he gave up two solo shots to Justin Turner, but that was it for his first time completing six innings in a month. And then he is 1-0 with a 4.29 ERA and four starts against the Nationals. And Wednesday's finale starter Chase DeYoung is 0-0 with a 4.80 ERA and three starts this season. Although he's been able to give the Pirates five innings in each of his starts, he still struggles with command as he's issued seven walks, four of them coming in his last start against the Brewers, and he's never faced the Nationals in his five-year career. The Pittsburgh bullpen is probably the best part of this roster with a respectable 3.85 ERA that ranks sixth in the National League. Although they don't have too many save opportunities, right-hander Richard Rodriguez has been reliable out of the pen. He's has a, he has a 3-1 record, a 178 ERA, an 07-11 whip, and seven saves and nine chances this season. Sam Howard, Kyle Crick, and Chasen Shrev also have ERAs right around or slightly above two. And former Nats farmhand Will Crow, who was a part of the Josh Bell trade back in December, is still on the active roster, though he's been mostly used in his, as a rotation piece, going 0-4 with a 6.75 ERA in nine games, eight starts. Nationals Park is at full capacity now. Check out nationals.com for a full list of new protocols and such for your trip to the ballpark this week. Hopefully you can get down to Nats Park and cheer on the Nationals at full capacity from a safe distance. Uh, that's going to do it for this series recap. Be sure to tune into the Pirate Series this week on Massim. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Mass and All Access Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the Mass and All Access Podcast on all your favorite podcasting platforms, including, but not limited to, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And check out our live episode every week. Myself and Amy Jennings this Wednesday Wednesday will be live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at Mass and Nationals across the board. And we might be having a special guest this week. Who's to say? Be sure to check it out to stay tuned in case, if not this week, hopefully over the next couple of weeks, a special guest joining us on the Mass and All Access podcast. Of course, at Mass and Nationals across the board on social media. Check out Mark Zuckerman's coverage on MassandSports.com this week. I'll also be covering the game on Friday night from Nationals Park, so you can give me a follow at Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter. The next episode of our recaps will drop Thursday recapping this pirate series and looking ahead to another weekend that includes four games in three days against the Mets with a doubleheader on Saturday. Until then, enjoy the games and we'll talk to you later.